Welcome to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. We exist to be a life-giving church in our community that helps people know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and go make a difference. Here you will find weekly sermons and teachings from our Sunday services. Let's dive into this week's message. Hey, I'm excited because I think what we're going to talk today, I think we can all relate to. I think it's something that pulls us all in. And today we're going to talk about this idea of freedom. But, but there's something I started to know about the human nature. I've started to see this, and especially if you're a parent, I think you've seen this too. There's something inside of us, there's like this little self inside of us that seems to rise up a lot, doesn't it? I see this with my kids. In fact, I've got a picture here with two of them. Um, The one there on the left is one of my daughters. And and you know how kids are. They like to test things. They like to push boundaries. But it seems when you tell them something not to do, doesn't it seem like more often it's like they're more enticed to do it? And so this was a moment where we're like, hey, hey, honey, listen, don't touch the stove because it's hot, okay? You see that glowing red thing there? Like, we don't want to touch that. That's hot. Well, she wanted to challenge us and figure out if it was really hot. <laughs> so we got to have a fun trip to the emergency room, and she learned very quickly, hey, the stove gets hot. My son is, is very much in that stage now, as this was just taken a couple of weeks ago, as we're at the store, and we moved into a new house. We're excited to be in Cleveland, and we're trying to look at some stuff that may fit in the house. And I said, hey, buddy, like, th- th- this stuff's not going to fit all in this cart, I don't think, and, or it may tip over. Let me go get it. Just stay right here. Let me go get another cart. And as I come back, I find him there, and he's like, no, look, Dad, it really does fit all in this cart. And so now he was right. To his credit, he was right. And we very slowly made it down the aisle, pushing everybody out of the way. But then the next day, we were at a restaurant and had some amazing sauce. I was like, hey, buddy, like we want to take this home. But listen, don't turn it over. And what do you think he did as soon as he got it? He's a whoop. <laughs> and there comes sauce like dripping out. I'm like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? There's something inside of us that rises up and seems to want to rebel every time we're told not to do something, right? I mean, I can't say, I mean, they're not far from the tree, right? I, I, I mean, to be honest, they're just following me because I remember with my mom, I was the only child and, and I kind of thought I knew best all the time. And, and, you know, my dad would be like, hey, don't sash your mom. Don't say stuff. And I tried, I really tried. But something brilliant would pop in my head and it would be out of my mouth before I could stop it every time. And so I get it. There's something in us. Or maybe you can relate with this. How many of you say, isn't it true when you go on a diet? Now think about this. When you go on a diet, all of a sudden you get this list of things that you can't eat. For the most part, I'm not a huge chocolate eater. So then when my doctor comes to me and says, hey, your levels are a little high. We got to be careful. You got to cut out sugars and carbs and stuff like that. We got to get your levels out. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. And all of a sudden, even though I'm not a chocolate eater, guess what I want? Chocolate. 
Like all of a sudden, when I'm told I can't have something, all of a sudden I feel like I really want it. And not do I just want chocolate, I want like the molten lava chocolate cake, like double fudge, double chocolate, right? You know what I'm talking about? Every time it feels like when we're told you can't do something, it seems like there's something inside of us that rises up that's like, oh yeah? Oh yeah? Watch. What is that? What is that in human nature that causes us to go down that way? And especially as we begin to talk about freedom. In our day, we talk about freedom a lot. Especially when it comes in the area of politics and economics and policies. And it doesn't matter if it's nationally, state, or even local. It's amazing because everyone's talking about freedom, but they talk about it like this. See if this sounds right. Don't tread on my rights. Right? Do what feels good to you. Hey, it's my body, my choice. You do you. We hear these a lot, don't we? Like that's what we hear in culture. So often we talk about this, and it's all in the name of what? Freedom. Freedom. We have the right to do this. It's freedom. But see, I think we've missed the idea. Because, see, we're all about freedom. In fact, as you drive up, you see on the flag, it says what? Find freedom. Like at Crossroads and God's church, we're all about freedom. But the thing is, I think we've missed the point. I think we've missed what God actually wanted us to get about freedom. And so today, we're going to unpack that a little bit and talk about that. But before we get to that, I think we need to go all the way back and find out what does real freedom look like? Do you know? Have you really thought about what true Freedom looks like. Now, I'm not talking about the, you know, democratic process, the establishment of our country. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about true freedom. And so for me, when I want to figure out what things are supposed to look like, I think you go all the way back to the original design. Like, I want to go all the way back and see what it says in the very beginning. So I go all the way back to Genesis. And in Genesis 1, we have this account of creation. And here's this incredible account, and God is creating all these things. He's creating the worlds and the universe, and then he starts to work on the planet Earth, and, and you know, it's, it's, everything was without form and void, and then he created all these things, and then he separated the skies and the oceans, and then he raised the land, and it was all these cool things that God was doing and orchestrating and making. And then he continues to put trees and plants and all kinds of things on the earth. And then he continues to, to populate it with birds and, and fish and, and things and creatures on the ground. And it's a crazy cool thing. And then he gets to the whole reason he started the whole process. He gets to man. And he says, and man, he says, and I created them, what, in his own image, so he creates man. And then he, but then he soon realizes, you know, he wants to have this relationship with man, and he does this all for man, but he realizes man is lonely, right? So then he, what, he, he creates woman, or what, what I like to say, what I think Adam said was, whoa, man, right? 
Because all of a sudden it's like, okay, God, now we're doing like that hippopotamus. That was crazy. That platypus, yeah, maybe about woman, yeah. And then all of a sudden God created all these things and it was incredible and it was right and it was just as God intended. And what did they do? They walked and they talked with God. They hung out with God. They communed with God. They probably sat down and said, hey, let's picking fruit from trees. And they sat down and talked with God and talked about life and, and laughed and probably throwing coconuts to let the lions catch them or whatever. And they're just having an incredible time living their best life. And all of this was done and created for man. All of this was done. And then not only that, but he says, hey, I've got things for you to do. And what was that? And he says, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. And Adam's like, check. <laughs> yes, please. And so, you know, be fruitful and multiply and populate the earth. And not only that, but oversee all the things and oversee the animals and govern the land. Like, this is what I'm calling you to do. And at the end of chapter 2 in Genesis in this account, what does it say? It says this, Adam and Eve were both naked and felt no shame. You want to know what true freedom looks like? It's the idea of being naked before everyone and before God and feeling no shame. Now, I don't know about you, but thinking about walking into a room with a bunch of naked people, that, that doesn't seem like something that, that in, in, entices me. But listen, this is, this is not about that. Yes, they were physically naked, but it wasn't that. It was they were emotionally, mentally, and spiritually completely known by God. There was nothing hidden. It was all transparent. You want to know what true freedom looks like? Being completely and totally known. That's true freedom. That's real freedom. It was as God intended it to be. But then how quickly do things change? Because then in the next chapter, we find out in, the, in, the, in this account, uh, in Genesis 3, 7 through 11, it says this. And this one I don't have memorized, so I'm going to have to read. In my red Bible, the Bible should always be red, right? Yeah, thanks for the, <laughs> the pity laughs. Then their eyes, then the eyes of both were, uh, both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to them and said, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he being God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? All of a sudden, everything changed. Because through Adam, sin entered the world. See, they could do anything. A lot of times we feel like freedom is like, oh, I can do whatever I want. And God says, of course, you've got this whole playground. Everything was for you. 
I only have one, one boundary. And that one boundary is don't eat of that tree. That's the only one. You said, why do you even give us a boundary? He gave us a boundary so that we're not robots and we actually have a choice. Because he is a jealous God who wants us to choose to love him. He's a jealous creator. He doesn't want to force you and make you. He wants you to come to him. And so through Adam, sin entered the world. When sin entered the world, we all of a sudden began to hide. Did you notice things from the story, from the account? All of a sudden, everything, they were once confident. What did they, they became insecure. Like, man, that sounds familiar. All of a sudden, they were once joyful, and now they're fearful. They were once whole, and everything was right, and now everything is broken. When sin enters the world, we begin to hide. Now, today, maybe we're not sewing fig leaves together and doing things like that, but we do the same things, don't we? We hide. I mean, think about it. How often do we try to escape? How often do we get distracted? These things right here. So often, we're like, well, I can just escape there. But not only that, what about work? Men in the room especially, because we struggle with this, how often do we just get lost? Well, I don't want to deal with stuff over here, so I'm just going to go work. Or maybe it's not that. Maybe for you, it's games. Candy Crush, I got to get another level. Or maybe it's social media, just another swipe. Or maybe it's vices, whether that's pornography or whether that's drinking or whether that's anything that tries to allow you to escape from the world that you're currently in. We hide because sin causes us to hide. It's not as God intended. And see, here's the thing about it, though. Sin doesn't last. Sin doesn't fulfill. Sin has never been fulfilling. Not only that, but pleasure, sure. For a season, sin may bring you a moment of pleasure, but here's the thing. The pleasure does not last. It is temporary. And once it leaves, all of a sudden you find yourself at a place where you're like, I'm no better than when I started, and I'm definitely more empty than when I began. Sin brings death. Romans 6.23, Paul reminds us, for the wages of sin is death. But listen, church, here's the good news because it doesn't stop there. But, but, but the good news is this. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Man, and, and for some of you, if that doesn't excite you and get you going, then man, I think your heart's broken. Because here's the thing. God said the gift of God is this. I'm giving you something else. I'm giving you an alternative. Jesus came to give life and life to the fullest. John 10, 10. I love that verse. The enemy wants to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and life to the fullest. How incredible is that? 
He says, not only have I come to give you life, but there is no condemnation in those Romans 8. There's no condemnation in those who are in Jesus. You know what condemnation is? That means there's a problem, but there's no way out. You're condemned. Jesus says, listen, no, with me, there's always hope. There's always a way. Jesus says, there's always a way out with me. And so when it comes to everything, he says, I am the one that has come to give you this. So regardless if you're a believer or if you haven't accepted Christ yet, there are two things that are always fighting for your heart. On one side, you have the world. Or if you're a Christian, maybe it's not the world, but it's your sin nature. And they are always vying for the throne of your heart. On this side, you've got God who is loving and pursuing and giving you everything he can in every opportunity. It says, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm always going to be here and I'm vying for the throne of your heart. But we always have these two things present in our lives. And Matthew reminds us that we can't serve two masters. So the question is, what's going to occupy your heart? What's going to occupy the throne of your heart? Because we can't serve two masters. You're like, wait a minute, serve a master? But Chad, you said freedom. I heard you. You said freedom. Find freedom. That doesn't sound like freedom. Serving something doesn't sound like freedom. Listen, here's the thing that we've missed. We think it's about this thing of all our rights and all our privileges, but that's not it. Listen, in Romans, Paul reminds us that you are never truly free. You will always serve one master or the other. You will always serve one master or the other. I know it sounds contradictory, but the idea is Jesus came to give you freedom, meaning he came to give you true freedom. See, sin entered the world through who? Adam. He was the first Adam. God had everything perfect the way it was supposed to be. They were naked and not ashamed. Everything was that God intended it. And then all of a sudden, through Adam, sin, through humans, sin entered the world, and the world was broken. But then there had to be a second Adam. Jesus was the second Adam. The second Adam came to fix everything that had been broken so we can get back to what God intended in the first place. The second Adam came in as Jesus, and he says, I'm going to die for your sins. I'm going to do everything that's needed in order to fix the brokenness. See, when sin entered the world through Adam, everything was messed up. Because of that, we became slaves to sin. Sin became our master. Because sin became our master, we became spiritually dead. We were dead. And we keep, that's why you keep trying different things and people keep trying different things. And, 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 and that's why it doesn't fulfill because you need life. How do you bring life to a dead corpse? 
You don't do it through all, anything that the world offers. You need something supernatural. You need something that's a miracle. You need this. You need the second Adam. You need Jesus. Because Jesus says, I come to give life. And I come to breathe life into who you are. And this is the place that God wants us to get back to. This is what helps sin. This is what helps our lives. Because of Jesus, we are restored back to freedom the way God intended it. So contrary to being a slave to sin and, and sin causing death, shame, and brokenness, we now have an opportunity for freedom in Christ. And you're like, well, what does that mean? Here's the crazy thing. Freedom in Christ means it's something called the great exchange. It means we get to exchange our lives for his. He has a perfect, sinless life. And instead of being us, we get to be him. And in exchange, he takes our lives. See, here's the thing. We don't bring anything to the table to give him. There is nothing you can bring Jesus to help with forgiveness. In fact, the scriptures say that even our greatest intentions are filthy as rags. But Jesus, because of his great love for us, he said, I don't care about that. I want you to take my life for yours. Guess what we get when we get Jesus' lives? We begin to get, we begin to become sons and daughters of God. Like our position changes. All of a sudden, we are no longer dead, but we are alive. All of a sudden, we are no longer in sin, enslaved to sin, but we get to become a son and daughter of God. Our position changes. Is he still our father? Yes. Are we still, in a sense, a slave to him? Yes. But we get to become a son and daughter of God. What does that mean? That everything that Christ inherited, everything that he is heir to, we get to get as well. We become heirs with Christ. And also we get to be an eternity in a relationship with him. The Bible calls this vulos. It's to be owned by someone for a lifetime. And because all of a sudden we get to be owned by God for a lifetime, we get to become his sons and daughters. We get to give up everything, all the bad, all the brokenness, all the death, all the emptiness, and we get fulfillment and life and whole and peace and joy and everything that God promises. We become his representatives. We, you are flesh and blood. If you are a Christian, you are flesh and blood of what the world sees who God is. Which brings us to today. And I know that was a big backstory and walk up, but the ending's short and to the point. It brings us to today because this is where my heart is most desperate. 
I think in our striving for freedom, our rights for standing and trying to make a name for ourselves, trying to have a voice, trying to do these things, I think because of all this that we've gotten, I, I wonder if we've forgotten. I, I wonder if we've lost our purpose. See, Revelation talks about this idea of there, there's a church that lost its first love. And I wonder if that's what the North American church is becoming. If we are a people that have lost our first love. Because I see a lot of people out there and, and they'll say, well, I'm a Christian. But I also want to hold on to all these other things over here. Well, I claim God is my, you know, I, I, I want to have daddy. But I don't want to leave this stuff over here either. Listen. God said, it, it, it can't be that way. There's no gray area. You're either hot or you're cold. There's no in between. James warns us. In James, James is the brother of Jesus. And in James 4, he says this. In 4 through 6, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means in enmity against God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he is jealous, that he jealously longs for the spirit? My tape got over it. He has caused to dwell in us. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. He says you can't have it both ways. It's one way or the other. I love this quote by Tozer. And it's going to be up there. I'm just pulling it up on my theme from Goodreads. In every Christian's heart, there is a cross and a throne. And the Christian is on the throne till he puts himself on the cross. If he refuses the cross, he remains on the throne. Perhaps this is the bottom of the backsliding and whirliness among gospel believers today. We want to be saved, but we insist that Christ do all the dying. No cross for us, no dethronement, no dying. We remain king within the little kingdom of Mansell, and we wear a tinsel crown with all the pride of Caesar. But we doom ourselves to shadows and weakness and spiritual sterility. It isn't about a name. It isn't about a relationship. Or it isn't about a religion. It's about a relationship. 
Like that's what God calls us to. And when he talks about what's on the throne of your heart so many times in the name of freedom, we want to hold on to all these things over here when God says, no, 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 no. You need to get off the throne and you need to put me on it because this is where I belong. But too often in the church, I see people wanting to sit on the throne and try to grab God and try to grab the world. Listen, church, it doesn't work. James goes on there in four, and he says this. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and well. Change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Then he goes on and in chapter 5, and he tells us, he reminds us how to do this. And in 5, 15 and 16, it says, And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess. What does it say? Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. What should our response be? Our response should be to die to self. Our response should be to put Christ on the throne of our hearts, to remove ourselves. This isn't about making a name for us. It's not about us at all. It's all about him. And if we've missed that, then we've missed the whole point of finding freedom. Our freedom is in him. It's not about us. It's not about our rights. It's all about him. And then what we need to do daily, we need to come to this place, this, whether it's at this altar, whether it's at your seat, whether it's at your home, by your bed, in the closet, in the car, we need to come daily before God and say, God, I'm sorry. Because there is a fight every day of who is sitting on this throne. Come on, church. If we want to go deeper, it starts here. If we want to make a difference, it starts on the throne of our heart. Listen, I know I get passionate, but I've got to be honest. This message wasn't for you. This message is for me. And I've wrestled and I've struggled so much. Because even for me, I know 
I need to do that daily. Because none of us, none of us are beyond that. And when I look at the stuff happening, when I look at Asbury and I look at places that we hear these reports and things happening around the world, I realize, you know what, this wasn't about some big worship, long worship service and some incredible worship or some incredible message. It had nothing to do with that. It's because all of a sudden a young man got up and he realized, you know what, God isn't at the throne of my heart. And he came and he repented. He humbled himself and he confessed his sins in front of everyone. And he says, this is what it's about. If we want to go deeper, this is where we start. Because until we humble ourselves and confess our sins, then God cannot come in to heal our hearts. And so I'm the first. And I'm just, I'm going to tell you, I'm the first. I've got to be here. But my desperate plea and challenge is for us all. Can we come to a place where we can stop trying to make a name for ourselves, trying to hold on to rights, trying to hold on to these things? And can we put them aside? And can we say, God, no, it's about you. It's about what you want to do. And God, I want you to be on the throne of my heart. I want it to be all about you. And so my challenge is, whether it's at this altar, whether it's at your seat, I just want to see you respond to whatever God wants you to do. And whether that's for you or whether that's for someone else and you come and you lay hands and you pray and because a righteous prayer moves. But here's the thing we can't do, church. We can't just walk out of this building and ignore what God wants to do in us and through us. Because I think he is in a movement. I think he is bringing us to a place where he wants to move in our community, in our church. But if we're not ready, and if he's not at the throne, he can't do what he wants to do. So all I'm saying is, come on, let's go, church. Won't you join me? and confession, and repentance, and prayer. And let's remember our first love. And let's bring him back to the place where he rightly desires. Let me pray over you. Let me pray for myself. Father, you are an amazing, amazing God. God, I love you so much. And God, I know I preach passionately. But God, it's because I keep preaching to myself. Because I know how much I need you. And so God, forgive me. Forgive me of my pride. Forgive me of my sins. 
Forgive me of, for the pride of life, for the lust of the flesh, for the lust of the eyes. God, I know that I wrestle with those things. And I know I don't always have you at the throne of my heart. And God, that's not right and it's not okay. And God, I need your forgiveness. Because God, I want revival. But revival needs to start with a circle in the, on the ground and me standing in the middle and say, God, start with my heart. Start with me here. And Father, I just pray, though. I pray that we, as your church, that will humble ourselves. That it's not about us. It's not about making a name for ourselves. It's not about, uh, about being seen. It's not about our rights. But God, we will humble ourselves and realize that you are the God that is pursuing us relentlessly and you want us. And that we will come to you in humility and repentance and prayer and confession. And so, God, do whatever you want to do. Here in this place, at home, wherever, Father, will you move. Just take this time, and we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, the altar is always open. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe so you don't miss out. Also, if you want to help support reaching more people with these life-giving messages, visit crossroadscommunitychurch.com slash give or text CRCC with your dollar amount to 73256. Once again, thanks for listening.